You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Nowhere to Run. Thanks for tuning into the show, although tuning in is not something that any of you do, so maybe I should revise that. Uh, anyway, so... Welcome. Got a lot to talk about today, so just going to jump right into it. Um, it's been, I haven't done a show, well, talked with you anyway, since since the conference, so I guess we could start off with that. It was a really good time. Um, one of the things that I was surprised about at the last day's conference, well, I guess not surprised, but noticed at the last day, day's conference and also at this conference was when... You know, we get together, that is, people that are, you know, generally connected, listen to the Re- Revelations Radio Network or this show or Future Quake or, you know, so on and so forth, Russ, and, and the rest of them. We're, we're kind of on the same page about not just the stuff that we know or look into or whatever, but really we're on the same page as far as our sold outness for the Lord. We're really good, normal people. You know, uh, there's not a lot of, there's, it's just really cool people. I mean, not cool in the sense of like a Fonzie cool, but you know what I'm saying? They're really good, normal, uh, people. I usually don't like socializing and stuff like that. I kind of always dread it. Like, oh gosh, I never like when I was in the band, I was always the guy that went back to the bus and like, didn't really enjoy that. But with a group like this, you can't help it. It's just like, hey, you're like me. Hey, you're like me too. Oh my gosh, we're all like each other. But in a good way. In a, in a way that you can look at somebody and, and know that they are totally in love with the Lord. And that sort of makes you immediately a part of a family. I think this is something that a lot of people that are, you know, believers will, will recognize. That when you meet somebody, they could be for, they could speak a totally different language. You may not even literally speak their language. But there's something in their eyes that you know, like, oh, no, we're like on the same family. Like, you know that what you know and what they know is is the same thing, if that makes any sense. I think that it makes sense to some of you out there. Um, speaking of that, uh, the, the church that I go to recently got back from a missions trip to Kenya, and I'm working on a video uh, for them and about that trip and some of the footage that they had. It's just, it's really interesting, the joy that they have and they have so little, and it's many times because the Lord is all that they have, you know, but yet they're so happy. I, I can only imagine what, how much more full of joy we would have if we had a great deal less of stuff, you know what I'm saying? One other thing, too, Kenyan music, Kenyan, like, praise music is really awesome. I think it's something about their harmonies or whatever. Um, it's uh, one of my favorite uh types of music, I think. that in, I've always kind of liked it. One of my favorite sort of genres of music uh, has always been something called Afrobeat, which is like uh, really sort of mm, rootsy African music, but in the context of a huge sort of jam band thing. And uh, it's kind of kind of rare, but really good. Anyway, getting off the subject. Okay, the conference. Yeah, the conference was cool. Um, several people got baptized, that was the highlight of of the everything. I, I actually baptized 
Um, new friend Bill. I've talked with Bill before via email and stuff like that, but finally getting a chance to to really talk with them and everything, and then had the opportunity to baptize them there in the hotel pool, and that was just the the, the highlight of everything. Uh, there's video of, of that somewhere online. Uh, I may favorite it on my channel here pretty soon, but um, that was that was great. I had a chance to pray for them, and, and other other people got baptized too. Russ did some baptisms, and. Just a real joyous occasion all around. The Lord was really uh, there and working. The presentations were really good. Um, Mike Tater did his uh, his presentation on the history of false flag terrorism from like 1935 to 1985. It's a two-hour presentation, very thorough. Andrew Hoffman did his presentation on propaganda. Hopefully we're going to have Andrew on the show pretty soon talking about um, his presentation and maybe even giving his presentation and making a video out of it. Uh, Dr. Future did a really relevant um, uh, presentation about politics and religion. It is also extremely important and good. Um, the, there's going to be videos coming out from this. Sam Miller is a guy who, who videotaped this. And he is a listener of the Revelations Radio Network. And this guy is just wonderful. Um, he is you know, really professional gear, really professional in what he does and everything. And he's committed to doing this as a ministry. So once all these things get ready, we're, we're going to try to find lots of different ways to use them. He's, he's, you know, all this, the, you know, all this stuff is going to the, the presenters and stuff. I told him, you know, anything that comes to mind that he can keep or whatever, just cause I know it costs a great deal of uh, money to do what he's doing, but, uh, just in the tapes alone and, and all, all the other stuff. Anyway. Sam Miller, great guy. Lots of video coming out pretty soon on all the presentations there. And the presentations were really, really good. Russ's presentation did two presentations, obviously, really good there, too. So I had a really good time talking with everybody and meeting everybody. And just want to thank everyone that, that came to the conference. It was it was a real joy. Um, so, yeah, where are we going to go from here? Uh, a few different updates on the website. I just created something on the website that I've been meaning to do for a while. A, a devotional uh, button there to the far right. If you, if you, what what that basically is is I've been. My wife has a commute to work, and so I've been thinking about where I have been doing making her audio CDs. Like I was gonna get, you know, I. Long story. I was, so anyway, I'm making audio CDs for her about different things that are uplifting or edifying or, you know, some kind of devotional thing. And I thought maybe somebody else would want to do that too for either yourself, you know, if you have a CD player or, you know, somebody that doesn't necessarily listen to MP3s and have their MP3 player on their head at all times, but they would probably listen to a CD, then I then that's essentially what I've done. So if you click to the devotional thing, you've got the ones that I've put up there recently for her. The first one being C.S. Lewis, The Problem of Pain. She's a big C.S. Lewis fan. And The Problem of Pain is a really, really great philosophical book. It's something that phil uh, philosophers have always uh, waxed poetic about, which is the problem of evil, the problem of, of pain. And C.S. Lewis, who... Uh, you know, not a lot of people recognize this. He was a professor of philosophy at Oxford and Cambridge, and that's when he was when he was an atheist. And after he became a Christian, he was also a professor of philosophy there. And so, his philosophical argument about about pain is in, in very intense. In the book, the problem of pain is a well put together, very intensely intellectual. I mean, I, if you catch yourself not paying attention to it, like for 
for 30 seconds where you're like, oh, what did he just say? You know, you have to go back and listen to it again. So that's on there. Four audios in one-hour segments there. And also the one I just posted about the life of Joseph. It's an eight-part series. I think they're like 20 or 30 minutes each. You can get like three of them on a CD. And the, the life of Joseph is so encouraging. And this particular study is done by a really good teacher. Um, he really brings out a lot of things about Joseph's life that are really important. And I think, man, this would help so many people, especially if you find yourself in discouraging situations. Things are not quite like you wanted it to go. You know, hey, this is this is not what I was expecting. You know, what are we doing here? Of course, Joseph had his life where he was sold into a slavery by his brothers. The guy never did anything wrong. You can't find anything about Joseph like doing anything wrong ever. He's like one of the few guys that doesn't really mention him doing anything wrong. And, and he gets sold into slavery. You know, he gets into this house and he starts doing, okay, well, I'm a slave here. What can I do? You know, and he, he does so well that the guy puts him in charge of his entire house. And then his wife seduces him. Joseph valiantly resists but she gets jealous and accuses him of doing it anyway, and so he gets thrown into jail. I mean, that that's a pretty bad situation. If you were in that, you'd be like, man, I got totally, you know, messed up with this. This is, I, the world is against me. Oh, woe is me, you know. But what does he do when he's in jail? He's like, all right, here we are. So might as well be doing the best we can. And the guy starts to serve in the, uh, in the prison. He eventually becomes head of the prison. And then two guys come in, you know, they... Um, they, he, he helps them out. They're like, oh my gosh, thanks for, you know, helping us out here. We work for the Pharaoh, you know, we'll, we'll get you out. They don't do it. Two years go by, they forget him. You know, he just continually kind of, uh, beat down, you know, and then one day, uh, you know, one day Pharaoh has a dream. These guys remember, oh yeah, there's this dude that we totally forgot about in, in, in prison. They give him a shower and, and bring him before Pharaoh. And for you, before you know it, Joseph is the head of, uh, he's the prime minister of Egypt, basically. So, yeah, there, there's a lot going on in, in the life of Joseph that can really teach us about, hey, look, whatever, where, whatever you state you find yourself, therein be content. And I think that uh, Joseph's faith is a really, really good testimony to all of us, and I think that we could all benefit from it. So anyway, yeah, go to the website, orderroadradio.com. There's a new button called Devotional over the, to the right, and I'm going to keep posting those as uh, all this goes on. So, so that's that. New videos, etc. I just put up a video about the from the audio I did a while back about my testimony of how I quit watching pornography, and that's the title of the video. So that's on the front page of the website and on the YouTube page. I was going to make an entirely new video about it, but uh, just time constraints and stuff, and I was listening to it, actually taking notes just to make sure I got all the things in it that I wanted to say when I was you know, trying to write an outline and a script, and I was like, well, I could just take this audio and make it, because it's got all the points in it that I wanted to hit, except for a few things. I want, One thing I did want to add to it, if I, if I was to do it again, is to say, while that was my journey with um, pornography, and, and it took... Well, quite a while for it to go away. It's not always the case with some people. The Spirit of God, on numerous occasions, uh, not just with this I mean, this issue, but lots of other issues, will totally take something away from people Im immediately. I know several cases, several people, that that's their testimony about pornography. It's like, yeah, I did one day, and the next day, it was just as far from the East as it was from the West. I mean, it was just a 
kind of deliverance sort of situation. And so that is a possibility, and that's something you should pray for. I think that's if there was one thing I would change about the video that's out there now is to let people know that while that was my story and the Holy Spirit was certainly working with me and convicting me and giving me the power over it uh, bit by bit, there is there is the possibility also of him just taking it away from me as well. I don't know um, why they chose to... My story is like that and other people's is, is like another way. It's just, um, you know, the Lord's will, I guess. So anyway, so that's uh, that's what I would say about that. Also, the video, The Importance of Prayer, which is also an audio that I did previously that turned into a video, and that is just the, the prayer quotes and quotes from the Bible, quotes from uh, other people about prayer, and that also is on the YouTube channel, Facebook, website, etc., etc. And then, of course, the videos that I did at the conference, the uh, How to Debunk Stuff video, and also the how to no, the pre-wrath rapture video so if you haven't checked those out i think i put the audio on the podcast and stuff so at least you've probably heard the audio if you haven't seen the video for the pre-wrath one check that out i think it's a lot um you get a lot more out of it if you're watching it than you would listening to it there's a lot of information there and it really helps to have that visual connection to it, so that's been that's been something I've been thinking a lot about and, and determining what exactly I'm going to be doing, how much time I'm going to be devoting to promotion of it, and and things like that. I've got all kinds of plans that I want to do about it. I want to send out CDs and, and DVDs to churches and stuff like that. I want to do all kinds of stuff, but whether or not I will or whether or not that's what I should be doing, I, I yet to sort of determine. I have just put up a website. I haven't had all that much time to work on it, but if you go to prewrathmedia.com, prewrathmedia.com, I have the videos that I have uploaded and made about the prewrath stuff and also all the audio from uh prewrath radio online as well as some uh, audio from Robert Van Campen about the pre-wrath. So you can learn a lot about pre-wrath by going to my website, prewrathmedia.com. Also, I've got the interviews that I've done as well as two uh, from the conference that I went to in Florida recently where I did the interviews with uh, Alan Kirshner and Charles Cooper. I got some video of their presentations or, or two of their presentations as well as one from Albert Sharpie who runs the website prewrathministries.com dot org maybe so a lot of stuff over there and also the revelation commentary which is a really helpful resource is also linked there also there's links to pdfs from parousia magazine which has a lot of articles and other stuff there so there's just a ton of stuff that you could you could do by going to prewrathmedia.com and i'll probably leave it as it is for now my, my goal is to start to produce more media because there's there's a few things that i i think I'd, I want to do before I can successfully leave this issue. There's some things that, uh, particularly Elbert Sharpie's material, I want to try to make in video form. It should be pretty simple to do and to get that out there because I think there's a lot of people that would benefit from it being in, in video and that would solve a lot of falsiness out there about the book of Revelation and a lot of other stuff like that. I found that there are a lot of very conflicting views about the book of Revelation, as you as you well know, I'm sure. 
But the problem is, is that a lot of them, it's not like it's all that subjective, you know? I think that the problem is, is just some really basic stuff. I don't, I think that the problem is, is because there's so much to sort of cross-reference. It's not, it's not the Bible's fault for not giving you a lot of references to make sure what you're saying is correct or not. The Bible is not the problem here. The problem is that there's so much to cross-reference that it takes a lot of effort to be able to say, no, that can't be true because such and such and such and such. So people will look at something, come up with a theory, and then kind of have it be a pet theory and never really dig a lot, lot deeper to, to see if it actually makes sense. I don't know. Um, you know, I literally cried the other day trying to look up some stuff on a particular thing I was researching about, uh, the book of Revelation and in, in watching all these YouTube videos of these prominent preachers. And I mean, I just cried because there was so, they were teaching such obvious wrongness. I mean, granted, a lot of stuff is, Hey, you know, subjective, but some stuff is just, that's wrong. You're teaching them something that is very dangerous. And I'm not talking about the pre-tribulational rapture or post-tribulation rapture or anything like that. I'm just, I'm talking about just stuff about the book of Revelation that is just wrong. Anyway, so I don't know how how focused I'm going to be on this. I, I still am trying to balance exactly how much time I should be spending on on either promotion of and research of prophecy and stuff like that. So kind of in limbo, really just soaking in stuff right now. I'll talk a little bit about the woman that rides the beast issue. If anybody's interested in that, I'll put the, I'll put that towards the end in case nobody cares about it. But if anybody's been following along and is interested in it, I'll put that towards the end and some other stuff I've been finding out. Um, okay. So a few different things. I wanted to talk about this issue about works and I mean, not works as in works to be saved necessarily, but doing stuff for God, right? You know, everybody kind of looks at that as sort of the end-all, beat-all, like, you know, I've been thinking about, you know, what do I need to be doing? God, what is it that you want me to do? You know, it's all about what can I do for God? Uh, you know, what kind of ministry can I start? What kind of thing can I do? And I can tell you that, especially the last few months, it's been kind of a trying time, you know, financially and other reasons it's just been and you start to question like okay am i am i not doing anything right what do i need to be doing better how do i need to be working harder you know you know you start equating your situations with your um with what you're doing right or wrong you know i don't know if anybody else has had this sort of thing i, I certainly have it's like okay well yeah sure i could pray in faith for the things that i need but what if you um what if I'm not doing something right? You know, then then it wouldn't do me any good to pray in faith. If I if I'm like somehow outside of your will on this particular issue, then then why would it, we want to you know bless me or on this particular issue or whatever? And I think that that's kind of it's unbiblical, really, because you know God will give you a no if He wants to. If it's a no answer, He'll answer you and say no. <laughs> but he wants you to pray for it. You know, you have not because you ask not. He wants you to continually pray for it. There's several instances, parables uh, that were spoken of uh, to continually petition him for the things that you need. And the reason he does that is because he wants you to know that it was him when when he comes uh, when it comes through. He wants you to know, hey, look, that was that was me. You remember that because. And, and let me tell you this, everybody, needing him is the best thing that could ever happen to you. 
If you find yourself in a time of serious need, rejoice at the opportunity that he's given you to build your faith. Because you can't build your faith like that any other way. It's it's just impossible to be built up and to have faith in God uh, if you don't need him at all. That's the, those people in Africa that I was talking about. They have such great faith because they absolutely need him on a daily basis. So anyway, what I was talking about with with you know, works and, and thinking it was all kind of about that. I mean, not necessarily theologically, but sort of in my head it had got in there somewhere. And, you know, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I was thinking about Daniel. I was listening to some stuff, um, Russ Dizdar's teaching on, on the book of Daniel. He did sort of an exegesis on Daniel. <laughs> um, the, the The thing that caught me, though, was, you know, Daniel starts to pray, and he's praying. He real he's reading the Bible. He's like, "Oh, wow!" So we're getting out of here like in seventy years. And he starts to pray, and he's you know he's fasting. He's weeping over his sins and the sins of his people. That's really what his prayer is about. He just starts praying about his sins and the sins of his people. Now we find out later when an angel shows up, and he's like. Look, from the moment you started to pray, I was sent out. I was sent out right then. But I, there was some opposition, and I got here, you know, just now. And, you know, Russ makes a point, you know, what if he stopped praying, you know, what, and all this stuff. But what I think is interesting is that the angel says to Daniel, um, you are highly esteemed among men. And I just get the impression that the angel was kind of like stating a fact, you know, like he's kind of a little bit surprised about it. Like, you're highly esteemed up there, Daniel. I don't know what the deal is, but uh, they, 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 they think highly of you up there. And, you know, I was thinking, Daniel didn't really do a lot of good works. You know, he didn't have like a big ministry necessarily. I mean, we see a lot of the things that Daniel does in, in the Bible, but they're a result of his faith. You know, he interprets the dream there, and that's really a result of like... Uh, Everybody's saying, okay, the new king's in. He just told everybody that they're going to die if they can't interpret his dream. And, every, and all the other guys are like, uh, look, king, nobody, nobody can actually tell you what the dream is. And Daniel, you know, basically said, well, you know, I don't know, but God knows. You know, he goes to his guys like, guys, we need to have a prayer meeting, basically. And he, he believes God can figure it out because God can do anything. So he, he tells him beforehand, wait, wait, don't, don't kill us. Don't kill us. I, I can figure this out. Or God can figure this out. So it was really just his faith that he was reacting to, you know, they're going to kill you, Daniel. So, so he reacts to it in, in faith. It really wasn't, I mean, it ended up being a ministry in the sense that obviously we're, we learn about faith and stuff from it for many years. And I'm sure it ministered to a lot of people at that time and obviously glorified his God. But, Really, Daniel's job was, I mean, he was basically a, a government employee for Babylon, you know. I mean, it's not exactly a great ministry. Now, he had a good prayer meeting going on with Shadrach, Meshach, Abignego, and probably some other people, I'm sure. They, they had, like, I'm sure a pretty, a pretty awesome fellowship going on there in, in Babylon. But you see that, you know, they tried to trap Daniel with his, his praying. The only thing that they had against him was, like, well... You know, he prays three times a day. If we can get, if we can make that illegal, we can get Daniel. But other than that, we're not going to be able to pin him on anything. So they made, essentially made prayer illegal. Anyway, my point is, is that you look at Daniel and what he, he did, and he wasn't really doing anything. But what he did do is he had great faith. 
You know, when the angel says, hey, you're highly esteemed among men, it's not because Daniel, you know, started an awesome ministry that has, you know, 4,000 employees and saves, you know, entire countries. And, you know, that's not what God is looking for. He doesn't want you to have some great ministry. I mean, he does. He does. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that. But what I'm saying is the highly esteemed factor comes because you have great faith. That's what, like, you should be working on mostly. And if that's ultimately the goal, if without faith it's impossible to please God, if that's for real, then you need to start looking at the the opportunities to have faith as the best thing that ever happened to you. Because you, you can't get that without without needing him, you know? Uh, at least that's my experience, you know? When I've really, really needed him is when I was driven to pray. And pray and pray and pray and pray. Like, Lord, Lord, really, really, I do really need this. And if it doesn't happen, then everything is going to fall apart. You're the only hope I have. If you don't come through here, Lord, then then I, I don't even know what's going to happen. And he does, miraculously. And it's like, oh my gosh, you really listen to me. Wow, this is great. Thank you so much, you know. And I and that is is worth more than anything. That 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 new relationship that I built with them. Like, so, okay, so you like, love me. And and also the fact that I have now, you know, faith. He, he's helped me in the past, kind of like your good friend in the past has always come, you know, your best friend. Oh, he's always there for you. You have faith in your best friend because you've had experience with them. You guys walked to, you know, you guys have been through a lot together. You know, that's the kind of thing that God wants to do with you. He doesn't want to take you out of a bad situation. Sometimes he wants to put you in a bad situation and walk with you through it. Because, unfortunately, humanity doesn't learn any way except the hard way. And that's why the worst thing that could ever happen to you is that you could be healthy, wealthy, and wise and whatever. You know, you be prosperous. Prosperity is not your goal. And you can't get uh, that from looking at Jesus' life. Jesus talked more about money and possessions than he did about heaven and hell combined. Really good book on my website about that. Uh, on the book section called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And I think I've talked about that before. So that's kind of something that's been I've been thinking about. You know, I was thinking about what I'm doing and equating it with God, you know, pleased or displeased with, with me. Don't get me wrong. He's He's pleased in with with you bearing fruit. And that's that's something that should result from deep within result from him you know it says without me you can do nothing i am the vine you are the branches he speaks of himself as living water you know and that and that's what is coming forth from us like a, a fountain and, and so the ultimate factor the thing that we need is him more of him the more that we see the world like he sees the world the more that we will love the world the more we want to help the world and and I, I again, I'm not saying not to do things. In fact, I think that you definitely should do things. If you if you feel that fire inside of you to do something, then don't wait for him to be like, "Lord, I'm asking for what my purpose in life is." You haven't sent me a telegram saying, "Hello, your purpose in life is so and so." Now go out and go here and start this ministry and blah, blah, blah. It, it just doesn't work like. Well, I guess it has worked like that in the past, but it's. It's not necessarily the way he, he works. What I would suggest do is be faithful in the small things. 
If you have an email that you need to write to your coworker or your friend or your family about their doubts, about something, do whatever, write the email. Pray for the people that need to be prayed for. Um, a great and, and powerful ministry, powerful than 95% of the ministries out there doing whatever they're doing, is a ministry of prayer, of committed prayer. Okay, uh, a lot of people spend their time and money doing some kind of thing, going, you know, doing business deal ministries or whatever. As Oswald Chambers says in that in that prayer video that I made, um, prayer does not prepare you for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. If you committed to just praying for the five, six people that you don't need to be saved, or one person, and just being diligent about that, that is a ministry. And be be faithful with the small things. And what I've found is that God is the... He will bring to you who you can help in terms of evangelism or whatever. Uh, if you pray for opportunities, pray for people to just start talking about God to you, or what their views on God are, or what their views on whatever are. Just pray for God to just make you a, a magnet for people that just start talking to you about God out of nowhere, and giving you opportunities for that stuff. You know, just start, just start being faithful with what's in front of you and he's going to start giving you more if you want something to do i got some ideas for you i got lots of ideas not enough time to do any of them but here's one i i can't tell you how fruitful it is to go where people that are needing are and give them what they need on online uh, i've been thinking a lot about this in sleep paralysis because um somebody has uh, volunteered to do a um, uh, Google AdWords campaign for sleep paralysis. It never really ranked that high. It, you know, when people do type in sleep paralysis, we got it to rank pretty high. But he's been um, just with the money that he had devoted for for ministries and stuff like that. He put to a keyword thing for sleep paralysis, pointing them to the Stop Sleep Paralysis site. Now. He was saying, you know, this would be really good, but there's so much stuff out there like on, you know, Answers.com and Yahoo Answers and all these things. He, he was saying there's just a million people asking what to do about sleep paralysis and everybody's, you know, giving them this just totally wrong advice. It, even if you just did a ministry about sleep paralysis, going to the forums and going to these places and just pointing them to the truth, even if you didn't point them to our website, but to say, you know, call out insincerity to Jesus Christ and he will stop it. You know, he's the way out of this. This thing is spiritual. It's not, um, you know, and, and, and that kind of stuff. Or, or Zeitgeist, you know, go, go, go talk to the people on YouTube about Zeitgeist. Give them a link to Zeitgeist Refuted uh, Final Cut by Elliot Nesh or, or Keith Truth's film about Zeitgeist. Both excellent films. People, that that literally, I can't tell you how many people's lives have been changed because of Elliot's film or because of uh, Keith's film or or the Zeitgeist Challenge website or or whatever it is. The, it, that is a life changing thing. You know, granted, I'm talking about stuff that that I know about. You know, the David Icke debunked film and stuff like that. But you have another burden, I'm sure, out there. You may want to go tell people about something totally different, some kind of totally different thing that sets people free from from bondage the like the the homosexual tract that i did um well i didn't do it but but, but i uh, found her testimony it's just a wonderful beautiful testimony on dvdtract.com that video will i guarantee 
set homosexuals free. Some homosexuals free. It will anger to no end others, but it will set many of them free. If you just had a ministry of taking that link to that video to the million and one places where homosexuals are, are talking and gathering online and just started putting links to that out there. While we have the internet, let's be salt and light to the internet. Prevent the inevitable decay of the world by salt um, with with what we can do. Now, we have so many opportunities for this. And, and, you know, people are thinking, well, I wish I had opportunities. Nobody's really giving me opportunities to talk about God. You want opportunities to talk about God? Go out there and make them. It, there's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't. Because there's just too many easy opportunities. And with videos and things like that, you can present this perfect case exactly what you'd want to say for somebody that's already said it, you know, whether it's that or the Mormons or the Muslims or whatever is on your heart, you can go be a missionary online with an hour of your time a day. Just just take an egg timer, put a, turn it to an hour, spend an hour being a missionary and answering emails that you get from it or private messages on YouTube or whatever. Just that... There is a lot of opportunities to serve if, if that's what you if that's what you are looking to do. A few other things. I was invited to a conference coming up. Uh, it's like three four months down the road. I'm not sure if it's confirmed or not. I gotta figure that out. But nevertheless, they asked me to do two presentations: one on the new age and one on zeitgeist kind of stuff. But they're both geared towards believers. The people will be at the conference will be ostensibly. And by the way, my wife told me that I was pronouncing ostensibly wrong because I've been pronouncing it for years as ostensibly. Ostensibly is what she says. That I should say. So, uh, okay. Um, um, so yeah, I don't know. It's going to be for believers. But anyway, that's not the thing I'm going to talk about. What I'm going to talk about is the project that I'm going to start. I'd say soonish, probably in the next few days, a a presentation slash movie for youth, that is middle school, high school kids about the occult and new age and stuff like that. Because the youth the youth pastor at the church that I go to asked me to do a presentation for the youth um, about some stuff, particularly like 2012 and. Uh, just general stuff about the occult and why it's bad and what it is and all this stuff. So so it's going to be kind of a new angle. I've never really tried to speak to specifically youth group people about this kind of stuff, but I think it'll be a good opportunity to to look into youth type of stuff and try to understand their mindset. I've never really tried to do that before and I think it will be I think it'll be a really I, I'm excited about the opportunity to to speak to them at church and so just kind of do that with other, you know, have the ability to do that with other people by making it a, a movie too. And maybe other youth pastors and stuff can get some use out of the movie or whatever. So I'm excited about that. And I don't have any idea what kids are into nowadays. So I have, I don't know. I'm going to have to do some research about like kids. I have to type into Google kids. What do kids like? And try to research kids. I, I don't. Yeah. Anyway, verse by verse Bible teaching. Yes, we took another week off. I don't know. We just are so lazy, but we—it's not just lazy. We have completely always conflicting schedules and stuff. There's only a few days that we can get into it. Plus, everything has been ridiculously busy since I got back from the conference. I mean, this is the first show that I've done since then. It's been well, 14 days. It's two weeks, but 
it has been so busy. I mean, I'm just like, every minute of the day is just like, just buzzing. And I, I, I do, so many emails have been just, I, I don't know exactly what point I'm going to have to say, okay, I can't spend this much time answering emails. It's not that I'm getting so many emails necessarily. It's just that some of the emails I'm getting are really important and they need to be, you know, I do audio responses and sometimes those audio responses will be 30 minutes long or 20 minutes or something like that. So it can take a long time to, to answer emails that in that format, but it's, that's what I like doing. That's what I'm here to do. That's why this whole thing is, is being done. So, you know, I don't know. I'll have to sort of decide at what point does that, if there is a, even a way to, to deal with emails without actually having to deal with emails, or do I even want to, to outsource them in any in any way? I don't think that that even makes sense. I, I would kind of be zealous for them. I wouldn't think anybody else would do it right. Like, no, 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 let me do it. And I think that maybe I'll uh, I'll try to make more of the emails and, and try to try to, when people ask the same questions, maybe I'll record my answer with the intention of, of, of kind of just making it so I can like say, okay, here's the answer to that question. Here's the answer to that question. So, you know, I can, maybe that's a good idea. Yeah. I can like have, um, basically templates of when they ask the same kind of questions and I can release them as podcasts. I'm sort of brainstorming here on the air. Okay. So now prophecy stuff, woman that rides a beast. Now I have really not done a whole lot more research into the woman that rides a beast. I, I only, my word study into, uh, horror, harlot, all those words. I only got through Jeremiah, which I mean, obviously that's the very beginning of, of, of the prophets. So I have a lot more to go, but the reason that I stopped was because I was dealing with this apparent contradiction because if, if it's wrong, well, I mean, I don't want to be doing it, but the issue is I kept, the reason I've been so trying to figure this out in Zechariah 14 is because everything else that I was talking about seemed so totally correct. It was just validated like so many times all over the Bible um, that I couldn't figure how this, uh, this contradiction, apparent contradiction was really, really important. So, and I, and I made a mistake there as well in what I said before. So I want to, I want to go ahead and correct that. And I want to talk about Zechariah 14. And if you guys don't care about this, you can go ahead and tune out now. So a little bit of backstory first, um, I did two shows previously. You can listen to them about a case that Jerusalem, or rather, to be more specific, eschatological, the eschatological city of Jerusalem is the woman that rides the beast. That is, that the Antichrist will rule and reign from Jerusalem, as we see, I believe, in Daniel uh, 11.45 and uh, implied Second Thessalonians 2 and uh, in several places in the book of Revelation, the two witnesses killed in Jerusalem, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Lots of different reasons that you can make the case that the Antichrist rules from Jerusalem and that essentially the, the city of Jerusalem is riding the, 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 the Antichrist, which is the beast. The beast that comes out of the sea, seven heads, ten horns, same beast that we see back in the, in Revelation, or in Revelation 17, 18, the same one that she's riding. So she's, this city, which it describes later on, is riding the Antichrist. It is promoting the worship of the Antichrist. And that is the cause of, of her harlotry. It doesn't say she's the mother of all harlots. She's the mother of harlots. She, and, there are, as I just described, and I've got a lot more references for that, uh, that have just 
mind-blowing references that point this the exact same language used all over the Old Testament. I feel really confident about that. But the problem is, is that at one point it says that she will be destroyed uh, by the ten kings and she'll be found no more. Well, she's going to be destroyed ultimately as a judgment of God. And in that city will be found no more. Now, that's a problem because we see Jerusalem in at least um, some other places uh, in, in the future. Per, for example, the New Jerusalem. And that, that one's easy to explain because it, it actually comes down from heaven. I mean, it's not even close to the same Jerusalem. So that one's easy to explain. So what I was saying, in but, but here's the other issue, that you have a lot of references to the Millennial Kingdom where... Uh, it speaks of it in, in some of the notable passages, particularly, as I mentioned, Revelation 20, when in, in the, at the end of the Millennial Kingdom, at the War of Gog Magog, uh, which, by the way, is the only time that Gog Magog is, uh, in my opinion, happens, is when it specifically does give you a time reference, that is, at the end of the Millennium in Revelation 20, when they they come against or the, Satan and his armies come against uh, the so-called beloved city. Now, the beloved city is it's an interesting word, and I tried to make the case. And what I was trying to do was trying to keep the millennial city from being Jerusalem because uh, because that would seem like a contradiction, right? If 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 here the city of Jerusalem is supposed to be destroyed, yet we see the millennial city being Jerusalem as well as the new Jerusalem in the eternal kingdom. So I could explain the eternal kingdom, but what I was trying to do is trying to find any reference to the millennial kingdom also being Jerusalem and just saying, well, it's not Jerusalem, it's actually uh, just a, another city. And there's some... As I mentioned, there's some really good, valid reasons to believe that. Particularly, as I said, it calls that city. It never says Jerusalem in, in, in Revelation 20. It says, he came against the camp of the saints, the beloved city. Now, it would be one thing if there was a million and one references to Jerusalem being the beloved city. But it's actually the only time I'm, that that word, that phrase is ever used. The beloved city is not a common at all. Uh, it's a unique name. And, I, and that was, I think, in my head, validated by the fact that when you read... Ezekiel, eight chapters, 40 through 48, talking about this new city, this new system in Jerusalem, this new holy allotment, and giving dimensions for it, and how it's going to look, and what the temple's going to look like, and a completely different situation in temple. Everybody agrees those eight chapters are like, whoa, what's going on here? This is a totally new thing. And he's talking about the millennial kingdom. Now, he never mentions the word Jerusalem one time. And he, the very last word of that entire passage is... The name of the city is, uh, well, Yahweh Shema, I think is the, the name. It basically means the Lord is there. So it goes out of his way to name this city as if it's a different city and make sure not to call it Jerusalem. So in my mind, that was like validation. Okay, the millennial city is not Jerusalem. This makes sense. So the new, so anytime it speaks of an everlasting Jerusalem in the Old Testament, it's speaking of the millennial Jerusalem. That was how I was trying to get rid of this contradiction. <laughs> And uh, it there's truth to that, and we'll see a little bit later why. And I had read somewhere that that's what Charles Cooper um, said, and he may or may not have said that in the past, I'm not sure, but it, that is not what he currently believes, um, because I asked him. And so I, so I read his book, 
um, Fight, Flight, or Faith, he's got a chapter there just on Zechariah 14 where he talks about, well, it's just a, basically a, um, an exegesis of, of Zechariah 14. And a great deal of the chapter is chronological. But the problem is here is that at the end, it starts to talk about what is clearly the millennial kingdom. And you can make that case because a few different things. It, it's obviously um, not the temporal kingdom we're in right now, but it still has issues in it. It's, it, it looks and sounds a lot like Ezekiel's 40 uh, through 48. There's still sin issues going on, albeit kind of very um, tempered, much like you see in Ezekiel and other places that speak of, like Revelation 20, for instance, uh, it may be the end of the millennial kingdom, but Satan finds enough people to come against the the beloved city to to be a huge army. So there's enough people to to go to war against God, even in the millennial kingdom. In fact, why would Jesus have to rule with a rod of iron if everybody was was doing good? You know what I'm saying? So there, there's, the millennial kingdom have certain character has certain characteristics, and the end of Zechariah has those characteristics. It's not the eternal kingdom of Jerusalem, but it meant that's the problem here. It mentions specifically the word Jerusalem here, and other places I think do that as well. So to me, that was like okay, okay. And then I read Charles Cooper's book, and he is saying in his book that that's that that is the millennial kingdom. He, he goes through lots of different things, and he's like, "Yep, that's the millennial kingdom." And I'm like, "Okay, well, wait a minute. How does that because?" How does that work in with uh, you know Jerusalem being the woman that rides the beast, and how do you explain the, the apparent contradiction that that Jerusalem will be destroyed and will be no more? Yet we find the millennial kingdom Jerusalem being here. So I asked him about it, and he said that the Jerusalem that we now know will be completely destroyed. In fact, you see there at the very end of the Revelation, before all this stuff happens. It is completely, you know, the bowls of wrath are poured out. The Mount of Olives is split open to make an escape route for the people that are in Jerusalem. You can you can follow that out actually here in Zechariah 14. You can see the purpose for the splitting of the Mount of Olives was actually to get these people out of Jerusalem before the final bowls are, are poured out. In fact, it's apparently just before, as you can make the case, then going back to Revelation and, and seeing the Mount of Olives situation, that's before all the bowls are poured out. The destruction of the city describes it as being split into three parts. There's just total devastation everywhere. That city is is doomed. It's going to be no more. Now, the there is a rebuilding, obviously, after that. You have to rebuild a world that has everything in the sea dead, and the everything in the sea turned to blood, all the fresh water turned to blood. It's a completely big mess. The whole world is in shambles after the bowl's wrath. Now, what he says is, and I think this is in so much study to, to get into, but Ezekiel 40 and 48 gives very, very specific details about the, the, as he calls it, the holy allotment. And you'll see why he calls it that if you read Ezekiel 40 through 48. It's very detailed specifications about this new place. The millennial, the millennial Israel, if you will, is very, 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 very specific. So specific, in fact, that you can, I mean, you can tell that the, the size of, let's say, the temple, for instance, a completely new temple. There's no, there's no court for the Gentiles. There's no court for women. It's it's a it's it's obviously theologically a very interesting temple. Nobody's ever seen anything like it. Um, th- 
that it would not even fit anywhere close to anything like we see in normal Jerusalem today. Not to mention that, but because he, he gives all these very specific details about the location of what he calls, again, he never calls the city Jerusalem in, in these eight chapters, but he gives coordinates for the place where the Lord will be. And you can get an idea of literally how big this place is. And it's just a completely different ball game. Whatever it is that is that Ezekiel calls Yahweh Shema, the, the city is is different in several aspects. It's not simply a rebuilt Jerusalem. Like like remember that cafe we used to go to in uh in Jerusalem? No. That's gone. This is a new thing. Yet it is also Jerusalem in a sense. See, that is a, a little tricky and I know it, it has the potential to be like you're kind of speaking out of both sides of your mouth there. If if the 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 city is destroyed and found no more, Yet you're saying that Ezekiel's eight chapter description of the and, and I would encourage people to to go look if you can find any artistic depictions of what this place looks like. You'll quickly be hit with okay, this is a different ball game. This is something. This is like the, the tribes of Israel are set up. The twelve tribes of Israel from north to south of Israel have their own allotments, and then the city actually has its allotment sort of in the middle of it. Uh, there there is. Evidence, in my opinion, that that the city itself, Yahweh Shema, is actually which is actually several miles to the south, um, but but nevertheless, uh, I have to be a lot more familiar with a lot more things in order to really make that. I have to commit to a pretty heavy study of of geography and stuff like that with with Israel to, in order to do that, and it may in fact do that. But anyway, so that's what I'm saying. The the Yahweh Shema, the beloved city, the city that Satan comes against at the end of the millennial period, the the camp of the saints, the the Lord is there, is also Jerusalem of Zechariah fourteen, the last part of it. It's also a lot of you know what's being spoken of in uh, Isaiah sixty five uh, seventeen on down or somewhere around there, the. It's the millennial kingdom. It's the millennial Jerusalem. Yet, there is enough evidence, and I think the Bible gives you indications through things like Ezekiel and Revelation 20 that it is somehow very, very different. Yet it, yet it is Jerusalem. Now, of course, the new Jerusalem will be entirely different. There won't be um, any temple in the new Jerusalem. There won't be um, there won't be any of the, the, the complications that were before, such as uh, you know, the sinful type of stuff. It's going to be a really, really revolutionary place, obviously. So that's kind of, again, the only reason I'm spending so much time on this this issue is I need to make sure that this makes sense before I continue with even the basic word study. I, I'm thoroughly convinced my, from what I've studied so far about Revelation 17 and 18 that the woman that rides the beast is the eschatological eschatological uh, city of Jerusalem. It, that, that's not the Jerusalem as you know it now. It will be the Jerusalem that the Antichrist rules from. People will bring their gifts to the Antichrist who, at, at the temple, there will all those those items of the merchants bring are things that are used for uh, you know worship and things like that. You've got a million and one different things. People. It's not the mother of all harlots. It's the mother of harlots. You can find so many references to Jerusalem 
being the mother of harlots. To that exact same phrase, you can find references to the variations of that. The daughter, you daughters of Jerusalem, you harlots, you, you can find... It, it makes sense if you think about it. I mean, all throughout the Old Testament, literally, all throughout the Old Testament is, is speaking of Israel uh, worshipping false gods. And it's just... A con I mean, read the book of you know, Hosea... Um, it's a really good depiction of all this stuff. And then, but anyway, go through, go through the book of the old Testament and you're going to find this, this theme. And what we see at the end, the culmination of this, it's not like anything has changed. It's just sort of the culmination of it. The worst of the worst. This is the worst that they could ever do is literally ride Satan himself and worship him as false, uh, false God. It is ultimately the, the worst uh, harlotry that's ever been. And what's even makes it worse is that they entice the entire world to do it, to worship the Antichrist. And I could only imagine that they, they believe that somehow the Antichrist is their Messiah, which would make sense if he's sitting in the temple declaring himself to be God. They must at least consider him in some way to be the Messiah if they're still hanging on to Judaism in that degree which they have a temple. So, you know, I don't know how it's going to all play out, but I do know that there are probably... Uh, 50 to 100 uh, different references that validate this. This is the only theory about who the woman that rides the beast is that doesn't have to leave the Bible. You don't need to know anything about the world to prove that Jerusalem is the eschatological city, um, the woman that rides the beast. So, again, I know that everybody has their theories, and I know that... Uh, that uh, they want to, to talk about them. So send me an email if you want to. I tend to not get back to prophecy emails as quick as anything else. So be aware that I do. I put them in a thing and I get back, get to them when it's time to, you know, look into that stuff. But I, it's just a real time-consuming thing, and I try to get to them when I can. So, so um, okay, that's right about an hour. So thanks for listening to the show. Let's do a quick recap. Okay, recapping. We've got the devotional section of the website, the devotional blog. I've got the Joseph study out there, eight audios there, as well as C.S. Lewis's The Problem of Pain, also on there. Very great studies if you're interested in downloading some audio for your MP3 or making CDs for your wife or husband or whoever has a commute there, which is the reason why that is there. And um, a few different things. Remember about the opportunities for evangelism online, posting links to stuff at answers.com or sleep paralysis stuff or, you know, the video of the homosexual testimony or Mormon testimony, Muslim testimony, whatever it is that there's lots of opportunities out there. Remember that it's not about the ministries you start, but rather building up your faith to rejoice in the opportunities that you have to build your faith, and sometimes that is when you're at your you're at your neediest, when you need him the most, is a time to rejoice in the opportunity that he's given you to build up your faith. And I'm sure there's quite a few other things that I forgot to mention, but I guess that's all for now. If you guys have any questions or comments or anything, you can do so at the website, nowhere2runradio.com. You can leave comments there, or you can hit the contact button and email me directly. Thanks for your time, everybody. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Nowhere to Run. You can download all of the archives to this show and others I've done for free at NowhereToRunRadio.com. Your prayers and donations are needed and appreciated. 
you can partner with me to reach many more people with discipleship, apologetics, and the gospel. Go to Nowhere to Run Radio to help support this ministry. Thanks for your time.